0: who's always been, yea, nay, when the world, this earth began, that God wants to have a relationship with you and I and walk in your life as surely as he walked with Adam and Eve in the guard. Now, so when you come back to this question about the scientist and the young earth and the old earth, it can be congruent. Science always ends up proving scripture. It's never been the other way around where it disproves scripture. But you can put your thinking hat on and you can ask the toughest questions of God, even the question of, well, some people are dogmatic and say it's a young earth and some say it's an old earth, but I'm afraid to even ask those questions. I would challenge you, maybe your children, go into understanding the whole world of science and they will, if they're open and they're not unduly influenced by prejudiced kinds of closed-minded thinking, Go where the truth leads, where the evidence leads, and it'll point back to God, as indeed what's happening today in um, modern science. In that garden, we find this verse. Genesis 3:8: "When the cool evening breezes were blowing. And the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now, I'm not going to be facetious here. I do want to answer that question on the dinosaur thing. But maybe they hid behind dinosaurs. Were dinosaurs there in the garden? Good chance they were. Where are dinosaurs at in the scripture? Do you know the word dinosaur was not created until, I think, like 1840-something by a British um, uh, scientist? And in scripture, don't look for the word dinosaur. But there are three words you can study. Behemoth, Leviathan, and I think the word is tannin. And those words have references in scripture that seem to speak of large animals. Sometimes some versions translate it to animals that we know. But one of them talks about such a huge animal whose tail was like a cedar. And you can say, well, that's an elephant. Except I don't think an elephant's tail is like a cedar tree. The word I want to make sure I pronounce it right. Tannin is often translated "dragon." You're like, "Oh come on, that's a mystical thing—a dragon kind of thing." Well, maybe it was a word used in that regards for those kinds of large creatures, or maybe those large creatures were in those in-between years, those billions of years, and there was some creation, and then it all died off because of whatever, and then God came and formless, without void, and recreated. I don't know. Now you're going like, "Where's all this going?" I'm just trying to answer your questions, folks. So there's the dinosaur thing. Dinosaurs can be found in scripture, possibly, not for sure. All right, and we have to understand the eons of time. They weren't hiding behind dinosaurs, in my opinion. I would be scared to be around one, I suppose. But they were hiding from God among the trees. And why were Adam and Eve hiding from God? What happened between Genesis one, one? And Galatians 3, eight, The God who created Adam and Eve To walk with them To commune with them They had sinned They had fallen They had done something God told them not to do Which was to eat uh, The fruit of the tree And so they became Aware of who they were In their sinfulness That they were naked They were ashamed And so they hid from God And when they hid from God What did God do? God went He pulled them out from behind the tree. He shook them up and down like you shake a kid and said, What's wrong with you people? Is that what Scripture says? No. He just called out. And he said, Where are you? And why did he call out? Because he had lost his little people? No. He knew exactly where they were hiding. He called them out so that they would acknowledge where they were. And that they had sinned and that they had stepped away from fellowship with God. It's hard to comprehend this whole vision of Genesis 3.8, but I think it's pretty interesting, isn't it? This, the idea that God himself was walking with his creations in the garden. One day you and I, we will walk. If we are followers of Christ in the eternal world, we will walk in the presence of God. And we will commune with God even face to face like we do in spirit here on this earth. But here's where the big story begins. And here's where the story begins that we need to be remindful of as we look at our future heading into the fall is that all of us have been like Adam and Eve and we have sinned and distanced ourselves from God and we have found comfort short-lived in hiddenness and pulling back away from God. But God pursues and God is pursuing every person you know. mentioned this a few weeks ago when I drive sometimes. I look at the people next to me and instead of getting upset with their road manners or them probably looking at me upset about my road manners, um, I say there's a real person that God created and loves. I wonder if they know the Lord. I know uh, that they have problems and challenges going on in their life. And I contextualize people in light of eternity and in light of their createdness in God's image. And I Seek to have compassion, if but just a fleeting prayer. Say, Lord, bless their day. I drive by people walking, and I'm going like, that's good. I should be out there doing some exercise. I'm not. (laughs) But Lord, bless them in their day. That I do not become people blind. And I don't become myopic and just live in my own little world. People matter to God. And one of the, uh, it's a little slow on the trigger here. The first core value of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is a part of the movement we're a part of, says this. Lost people matter to God, and He wants them found. We are foolish to think that this relocation move, our prayers for a vision of the future, of being able to serve and please God. We'll be honored of the Lord if we do not take serious this value. First of all, that people are lost. They're hiding from God. There's questions in their life. They're disconnected from God. And secondly, that God cares about that and he wants them to be found. But he's not going to pursue them, shake them up and down. He woos them and calls them through various means, even through your life represented before them. And God wants lost people found. He wants people to come back into relationship with him. And this needs to become something we pray about in our own personal lives as Christ followers and say, Lord, give me a brokenness. For lost people. Now the word lostness is a strange kind of word in partner culture today and I've mentioned to you before that the word brokenness sometimes is better than lostness. But if you put it in the context of the Genesis passage, there is a lostness that happened and God went to seek and to find those who were distancing themselves from him. And so what I'd like to do today is take some other questions that are represented here on some cards. And I put three of these cards together to answer one question. So I'm going to read the three questions. I think about people in the third world countries and wonder if God gives them an opportunity to come to know him, even if they have never heard of him. Does everyone get an opportunity to know God? And if they don't, how is that fair? Is the judgment... The same for people who have heard the gospel and don't receive Christ and those who never heard the good news. And the third question is this. With the prevalence of many different gods in every culture that all believe that their God is the true God, how do I know that Yahweh, the God of Scripture, is the true God? That this is the true faith? All three of those questions, and if you wrote one of those questions, I'm going to sum them up in one Um, overarching question, and it's this. Are the heathen really lost? What about the lostness of man? Now, that's a big term, the heathen. Who are the heathen? Do I have any heathen people in here? Heathen people would be people that are sinners. I'm a heathen person. I'm a sinner. But heathen in particular are those many times that are thought of the people who are far away who do not have a church that they could have walked into today. There's many places around the world you would go that you cannot walk into a church and hear Genesis 1.1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Many countries and sectors of the world where people would not know that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to this earth. It's just void of that knowledge. If people have never heard, are the heathen really lost? Is the lostness of man so um, incredibly sad that they are without hope and that it is unfair as we would see fairness? I wrestled with this as a young person because I grew up in a church that was really strong with encouraging people to be missionaries, to go to faraway lands to tell people who have never heard about Christ. And part of me is like, why should I do that? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Because people are lost, and maybe you'd find yourself in that category even here this morning, that aren't way far away. They may be next door. They may be across the cubicle. They may be in the next room uh, where you work. And we need to soberly look at this and have a grips with it. It's not one of the most exciting, powerful messages of let's go out and take on the world It will turn that way if you allow the conviction of the Spirit to let you identify the condition of mankind. And so with those questions, I want to go to this sequential order. And then we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that helps with this. Humankind moves from rejection of God and truth to separation from God's glory to domination by enslavement to sin, to condemnation, eternal separation. So as we look around us in the world, the world at large, whether it's way far away where they've never heard of God and Jesus, or whether it's right next door, mankind, humankind, womankind, kidkind, studentkind, whatever it may be, all one and the same, that we move from rejection to separation to domination to condemnation. And now let's follow this through with Scripture. The Apostle Paul was pretty radically convicted about this in his own life. And that's why he was so passionate to be a missionary and to get the gospel, the good news about God and Jesus to people that did not know. It says this in Romans 1, 18 through 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men. Ooh, that's pretty heavy, Kerry. Thank you for that verse on this midsummer morning. The wrath of God is being revealed. The wrath means his judgment, his righteousness, making all things right, okay? It is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men. Any of you seen some godlessness and wickedness today, yesterday, the day before? It was in Los Angeles last night, I believe, right? Some guy uh, took shots at his grandmother, took off, police chase, ended up crashing into a, a Trader Joe's store, right? Starts taking hostages, shooting around. One of the clerks was killed. You're like, who does that? What is that? That's godlessness, and that's wickedness. You know what the scriptures teach through the Apostle Paul? Yes, that would be godless, and that would be wickedness. But there's something even more tragic that precedes all of that. And it's this. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Godlessness and wickedness of men has to do with the suppression of truth. Now, this is coming back to the questions. The reason I say, what are the questions you got? What's going on in your mind? You were created as human beings with a soul, and you have interest in eternal things, big things. You have questions that go around in your mind. And those questions are there because God's wanting to work in your life, and God has placed his image in your life. But if you suppress those questions, if you suppress pursuing truth and knowledge and wisdom and understanding in this life, you are actually on a course to becoming wicked. Really? Yeah. Because it starts with rejection of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who do what? Shoot up people? Do terrorist acts? Well... Yeah, that happens eventually, but where does it start? It starts with the suppression of truth in the inner being. And you can be guaranteed of this. When you're trying to reach out to someone, whether they're a friend, a coworker, whether they're a relative, a neighbor, your spouse, God is working in their heart through his spirit to get them to awaken to truth. And some people work overtime to suppress that truth every Nope, day. Don't, don't want to think about it. Oh, well, that's good for you. I'm fine with you. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And they go on their little way. And you're like, wait a second. How do you get to be that old and you don't contemplate some of the the bigger realities of life? They've been suppressing truth. And there's different reasons people suppress truth. And we'll see that. But they suppress truth because of the fallenness, the sin that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That we were born in sin. And we don't want there to be a God. All right? That's self-centeredness in many ways. But the reason God's wrath is revealed is not because all these little individual bad things that all get stacked up because we've all done bad things. But the wrath is revealed because of the suppression of truth. So when we as a church reach out and we challenge ourselves to be a mission, be a lighthouse in this valley so that people become fully alive in Christ and to his mission, we're encouraging people to wake up we called the awakening, to wake up to truth issues. We live in a culture about relativism, that there is no truth. You pick your way, y'all pick mine. It's like, wait a second, we've really gone astray in the Western culture. There is truth to be found. Truth is not made up. Truth is not voted into being. Truth exists eternally. So when Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, whoa, step back. What's with that? But God is wanting people to wake up to truth. And if they seek to wake up to truth, they eventually wake up to who God is and who God is through the person of Jesus Christ and being in a relationship with him to walk not only in a garden someday in eternity with God, but to walk with God in everyday life today. This is our mission, church to wake people up and keep them from suppressing truth in life. All right? But that's where it begins. The lostness of man is the suppression of truth, rejection of God. Since what may be known about God hmm, is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, this is where we start asking a little bit deeper, the questions on the cards I just mentioned. What about those who have never heard? What about the heathen? Are they really lost? People in third world countries, people that are outside a viable witness. God really made something plain to them? I don't see that they have a Bible in their language. I don't see that they have a church on any corner of their city or their little village. How do they know? Well, because God established something in all creation. And it's called Revelation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Eternal power, divine nature. I was back outside the other night trying to chase my dog, get back in the house so we could all go to bed. I couldn't find her. So I just paused a little bit, looked up into the sky, and I said, Wow, God, your eternal power and your divine nature. It's all around, it's evidence everywhere. And the Apostle Paul's saying that people who suppress truth are falling into the wickedness, and what truth they suppress is his eternal power and his divine nature. And you don't need a Bible for that. It's always amazing to me when, when you would study the anatomy your whole life and even work on the anatomy and do surgeries. Some of you are familiar that um, uh, our leader of our district of the Alliance Churches is Bill Malik and his daughter Katie. They used to attend this church for a period of time. Um, discovered at her last exam, she is six months pregnant. And um, that the child uh, is not forming right and has spina bifida. And this last week, um, at a hospital room, a neonatal hospital room in Colorado, they opened up her womb and put the nerves in the back, back into the body, and sealed its back. Praying that she doesn't go into labor, that she carries the child to term because that will give a better hope for not just survival, but functionality in life. And you try to comprehend that. Wow! You go in and do surgery on a baby in a womb. We're able to do that. Because God's given us brains to be able to know how to do that. And then you think about how God's forming that baby in secret, even with that special need. That child will have a special life. Liam is his name. You want to pray for him? And Katie? That's an example in my week this week because I got an update on email yesterday about God's eternal power and his divine nature that he would be creating this child in a womb like that. It's all around us. It's around not only us. It's around every single human being in the universe. And if you suppress the truth, you are suppressing evidence that's plain, God's eternal power and divine nature. But then what does it say after that? Paul says this. I want to clarify some terms here. General revelation versus special revelation. General revelation is God's eternal power and his divine nature everywhere that everybody can see. General revelation. General Revelation says that there is something that surely would have started and created all this. There's intelligence that was brought to place. You know, to believe that uh, uh, a dictionary came into being by an explosion in an alphabet factory would be a pretty far fetch, right? So also, this world didn't just happen. Exploded, and it is what it is. There's intelligent design. That's a general revelation available to all people. This that I hold in my hand, the scriptures, the story of Jesus himself, that's special revelation. And this is where Paul got consumed because he knew that there was general revelation enough that would wake people up. But creation itself does not tell them about the love of Christ and the love of God. And that he was compelled to give them special revelation. So the answer to these questions in one sense... What about the people who've never heard, people of other cultures, their God, that kind of thing? The reality is general revelation reveals that there is a God, though the revelation of that God is not specific, and that's why the Word of God came into existence. It has been very clear being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. If somebody was to die who would never heard about Jesus Christ, and they were to stand before Jesus on the final day, and... They would not be allowed to be coming into the eternal realm. They're not going to be turned away because necessarily they rejected Jesus if they hadn't heard, but because there was the suppression of the truth that men are without excuse. Now, this gets into some nuances of an understanding of are the heathen really lost and the lostness of mankind, but I want to encourage you in this regard. God knows, and those who do wake up to the general revelation, he will in his means somehow send special revelation that's sufficient enough for them to be able to walk into the entrance of Christ in eternity. Sometimes it's a missionary. Sometimes it's through dreams. Sometimes it may not be knowing the name of Jesus himself, but there's all kinds of stories where where people have worshipped a Messiah or some type of leader that would heal him. Abraham himself, did Abraham know Jesus? No. But his righteousness... His faithfulness was faith was credited to him as righteousness. He was anticipating Christ in the future, even though he didn't know Christ. So also for those who are outside of special revelation of Jesus, they may know about Christ if they pursue the truth that's before them. God, in His wisdom and His understanding, will reveal or will sustain that in the end time. Now, I could open that up to a ton of questions. But I want to encourage you with that because these are questions that are very legitimate. If you were to try to witness to somebody, maybe they'd say to you, well, you are so narrow-minded. Who do you think you are that you think Jesus is the only way? What about those people that were never born in a place that would understand Jesus? Or how can you be so dogmatic about that, that if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're not going to be able to be with God in eternity? Those are legitimate questions. But if we take them to Romans 1, we say, well... People are not excluded from heaven because they don't know Jesus. They're excluded because of the suppression of truth and the wickedness and not being able uh, to have an excuse because of what stood before them. All right? Let me go on in this passage just a little bit, and I won't try not to get too bogged down much further. (laughs) For all those knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This goes back to our slide that said the first thing is what? Humankind is the rejection of God. All right? And then it's the turning away from God's glory. All right? The rejection and the suppression. Becoming futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22 Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, we live in a sophisticated culture, so don't, we don't go around and bow down to a little icon, idol, or wood statue in our home. But there are things that we pursue as our gods in the world. It may be power, it may be wealth, it may be prestige. There are gods that stand before all of us. And so what Paul's saying with the people he was dealing with, they claim to be wise, but they became fools. Look at all that they're pursuing. They're pursuing notoriety in this life, becoming a celebrity, becoming a powerful politician. They are pursuing other kinds of means of material things so they can feel like they, they, they have superiority of owning things. We all like nice things, I understand that. But you know the thin line where it steps to becoming a possession and becoming an idol. And Paul's stepping back and saying, Look at humankind. They reject God, they suppress his glory, and then they begin to pursue other idols, and in pursuing other idols it steps in even deeper. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Amen means so be it. And you take a deep breath and you go, Wow. I guess that's true. You move from rejection of God to separation from God's glory To the third thing, which is domination by being enslaved to sin. Further on in Romans, it says this There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. G.K. Chesterton once said, There's many angles at which you can fall, but only one angle that you can stand straight. Our world is working overtime at falling in all kinds of different angles. Don't be so overly concerned with the angle in which people fall or you've fallen in your own life. Seek to know what it means to stand straight in Christ and in God. This is the condition in the heart of mankind. We don't hear it spoken a lot in churches sometimes because we want to get on to the good news. But there's no good news if we don't understand what the bad news is. And the bad news is people are lost. There's a lot of sacrifice and effort not only now, but I think in the future that's going to be called upon of this church to be able to do the mission that God set before us. And if we are not gripped with the reality that people are lost and if they die without Christ in their life, there is a Christless eternity then we will not serve in the measure that God has called us to. And it's not a statement of mobilizing out of guilt and fear because it's a statement to mobilize us for the love of bringing the special revelation of God to all people. This is true. Humankind moves from rejection of God and truth to separation from God's glory to domination by enslavement to sin to condemnation to eternal Separation. God never sends anyone to an eternal hell. People choose it because they choose to suppress truth and walk away from God. What scripture teaches is that God did something about it. You may be familiar with these verses. If not, you should write them down and this should be a part of your ability to communicate and talk to people. To bring them an answer for the hope that resides within you. Romans three twenty three. Right after those verses we just read, Paul says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Romans five eight says, "But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." And Romans eight one, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the fourth verse of Romans in this set of verses is Romans ten nine and eleven. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That set of four verses, Romans 3.23. You got that? 6.23. 8. I'll put them back up there for you. Uh, 3.23, 5.8, eight, all right? Romans 10, 9 through 11, part of what's called the Roman road. 6.23 can also be put in there, for the wages of sin is death. All right? Paul was laying out a beautiful document to a heathen culture in Rome, a culture that was pursuing all kinds of other gods and indifferent. To the truth that was around them. But before he could get to the good news. He had to present the bad news. And the bad news is people are lost. And lost eternally without Christ. Do you remember the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus? I just want to close with it. Zacchaeus was one of those lost people. And Jesus came and walked his way, and Zacchaeus made a decision. From the New Living Translation, it says this: Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. Luke nineteen verse five, uh, verse three now. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called to him. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be your guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. Probably put the word disgusted in there. He is gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, poor, Lord, and I had cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And then Jesus responded with this verse. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our passion, my passion, I trust it's your passion, is to see people become fully alive in Christ and to his mission in this world. But it begins by being weighted with a sober understanding that people are lost and far from God, but equally becoming weighted with the reality and the hope that those lost people matter to God. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for people like Zacchaeus and people like you and I, because he came to seek and to save those who are lost. If we make a transition this fall, if we serve in our personal lives during the week, if we're reaching out on the weekends to different kinds of people, if we do not have the reality and the heaviness of the reality that lost people matter to God and that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, then we will be amiss of doing what God's called us to do. He's called us to be his ambassadors, his agents of good news. In deed and in word. And that hope is found in Christ. Who is it in your life that is lost? And if they were passing from this life to the next, they would be eternally lost. Because they never came into the special revelation of knowing Jesus. You know, we were gripped by those boys in Thailand lost in that cave, right? And all the effort of the rescuers to go and try to save them. Think about that mobilization. Is that kind of mobilization there for us, for those who are lost? This last week we had that tragic story of the duck boat accident in Branson, Missouri. If some of you have been to Branson, duck boats, been there, that kind of thing, oh my goodness. 17 people lost and drowned in that lake when that storm caught a hold of that duck boat. Nine from one family in Indiana just heart-wrenching. How do you deal with that kind of thing? Well, you pray for it, and, and you, it, you, it's going to be terrible hard to walk through that tragedy, that loss. But sometimes I wonder, we're gripped by those kinds of stories, but are we gripped by the people around us who are like, oh, not now. They'll probably be okay. They're fine. Maybe someday I can get them to church. Maybe someday I can share my faith with them. Maybe someday. Or maybe it's not really true that if people don't, have a relationship with Jesus that they're eternally lost. I, I don't know. Maybe that's that's a good thing for some evangelical churches, but maybe, maybe that's just not for today. Friends, it's not about evangelical. It's about the truth. And you find Jesus doing this all over the place with people like Zacchaeus. He went into the houses of sinners, and Zacchaeus repented. He not only repented in word, like, I'm sorry. He gave people four times... Uh, what he had taken from them. That's true repentance, and he turned to Christ because Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And as excited as I get about building a wall, moving into a new auditorium, and being along an interstate, and being able to be centrally located in a valley to do outreach and all that things, you know what I get excited about the most is that the word of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ is alive and real today, and we have the chance to save people. But we will not save people Unless we believe that they are lost. So these three questions. On these three cards. Were great questions. I turn them back around to all of us. Do we believe. That people who die without Christ. Are eternally lost. Not because God condemns and sends people. To an eternity of lostness. But because they have chosen that through their years. To reject God. Why be in an eternal heaven with God. If you didn't want to be with God in this life. It's a heavy message. Thanks for listening to me. My request is you open yourself up to be burdened by the burden of God to save lost people. Will you pray with me?